May the words of my lips and the meditation of all, all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, when we last met, we saw that Paul was struggling with something entirely relatable for really any even somewhat self-aware Christian. Paul was wrestling with the truth that although he has been justified by God, made righteous in the eyes of the Father, when he looks at his own conduct, he sees his sin. This is the reality that every single Christian lives with. That Christians are both holy and yet sinners. We are justified and yet still commit sins that make us worthy of condemnation. And yet in the midst of this struggle, Paul laments that that he's wretched. Who will save me from the body of death, he asks. And then seemingly from nowhere, he does what we all do when we're struggling with sin, right? He bursts out and prays. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Where does such an outburst come from? Where does such joy come from? Because as I say, I mean, when we're struggling with sin, it's not really our, our first instinct To start praising God, right? How then can Paul praise the Father through Jesus Christ in this moment? Well, it's because of the truth that we encounter here in chapter 8. That though we are still sinners, we who believe in Jesus have new life in the Spirit of God. This morning, we're going to walk through the basic structure of what life in the Spirit of God is all about. We're going to look at what life in the Spirit brings. We'll look at how it's possible to receive it, which is by the power of God, and the difference that it makes through the perspective He gives and His presence within us. What is it then that the Spirit of, love, the Spirit of God brings? Or to put it another way, what is the cause of Paul's joy? Well, it's right here in verse 1 for us, where we read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If If you've heard me preach for a while, chances are you've heard me talk about Fridge magnet verses, right? I like to kind of tease people about these, make fun of them a little bit, because typically we grab one of those verses and we rip it completely out of context and it doesn't mean at all what we think it means because we're reading it by itself, right? This is not one of those. Romans 8.1 is a fridge magnet verse that means what it means. If you are in Christ Jesus, 
If by his grace you have repented and turned to him as Savior, Lord, and friend, if you've been baptized into him, united to him, made his forever, there is no condemnation for you. None. Because you belong to him. That is a truth that should be planted deep within our hearts because it is a truth that changes everything. It is why the Christian can and should live in freedom rather than dread, despair, or performance. Because if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you in fact are in Christ Jesus, you can be completely honest about your sin. You, like Paul, can look at your own performance and admit it doesn't measure up. You can admit to yourself and to others that, you know, I know the right thing to do. I know the Christian answer in a given moment, and yet I can't do it. I keep failing. You can admit that without fear or dread or despair, because since we are in Christ Jesus, we know the one who never has or never could fail. The one who died for us while we were still sinners so that we can be honest about our failings and then turn to him as the one who saves us from all those failings. Think about it this way. When a child does something wrong and they get caught, they don't want to admit it, right? Their first instinct is what? Cover up. No, I I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. You could have seen them do whatever it is with your own eyes. You could have been standing right in front of them. The initial instinct is, no, not me. And if there's a brother or sister around, you know exactly who they're pointing at, right? We want to cover it up. Well, why do we do that? Why would a child do that? It's because we're afraid, right? We're afraid of the punishment. If we admit our failing, we're really scared about what that will mean. Well, guess what? We treat God the same way. We're afraid to admit when we fall short of the glory of God because there's something inside us that fears the result of that confession. We think punishment awaits us because somewhere inside of us, we have this idea of God, not as the Savior who died for us, but as some kind of tyrant who's just waiting to punish us. We project how we would react to sin onto God, right? And how would we, how do we react to sin? Somebody sins against us, what's our instant reaction? Punish them. Get that sinner. Just as long as it wasn't me. And then there's grace for that. We project that onto God. And so we, when we think of God, we think of this one who's just sitting up there in heaven waiting. Waiting for your sin to appear so he can reach down and smite you right where you stand. We forget the words of Peter, who told us that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach 
repentance. And so hear these words of freedom again. All you who fear condemnation, who the moment you sin are deathly afraid that it's over for you, hear this again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So when you sin, and sin you shall, do not fear God's retribution. He already bore the punishment for you. All you need do is turn to him and confess it. Repent, and then hear again the beautiful word, forgiven. Jesus died to justify you, and justification is the opposite of condemnation. And so you who are justified by his grace live in the peace of that justification. He bore the wrath and paid the penalty for you so that you might hear justified and never for a moment hear condemned. Hear that freedom. What more really needs to be said, right? Some of us are now thinking, awesome, he's going to sit down already. Hmm, Sorry, no. If no condemnation is what's been extended to us, how does it happen? Because that sounds pretty good, right? We we should probably want to know how we get that. Well, verses 2 through 4 make it clear that this pronouncement of Paul's is only accomplished by God's power alone. Paul writes, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, Or not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's an awful lot there. The first thing we want to be clear about is when Paul is speaking about the law, what he's speaking about is the law that God gave to the Israelites so that they might know how to live as his followers. And yet here he calls it the law of sin and death. Well, if we understand that God is love and grace and holiness and perfect, How could Paul ever call the law the law of sin and death? Well, it's because of what he said in verse 3, that it was weakened by the flesh. And so the law is not the problem, it's us. It's human beings. Because we saw the law of God and said, all right, that's what's going to save us. If we live God's way perfectly, we'll be just fine. And we do that because we have this twisted view of God. We're we're trying to live perfectly to somehow appease him. And so in the end, we start to believe that it's our ability to follow God's law perfectly that would save us rather than God himself who saves us. Do you hear the difference there? One way seeks salvation from God and then lives as he would desire in response to that salvation. The other way looks to the work of human hands as our means of salvation. 
because of that twisted view of God that we have and the twisted view of people that we have. The challenge, of course, is that even if the law was given for that purpose, we could never live it perfectly. God, of course, knew that, and so he didn't give us the law to save us from our sin, but rather to reveal it, to show us how we fall short of his glory, and then to have a guide in how we're to live. That is why the law became the law of sin and death, because we tried to make it do something it never could. We made it about our striving. Don't hear me wrong. Striving is not always bad. We should want to live moral and upstanding lives. That's a good thing. We should strive to achieve goals and do amazing things, but the intent was, that for, it to be, it was for that stuff to be done out of the freedom that God provides, not to prove our worth to God. And so in the midst of all of that, in all of our striving, God steps in. He did what the law can't do and what we can't do. He justified us by coming in the flesh and condemning sin in the flesh. He set us free from that law of sin and death by fulfilling the law perfectly. The result is that all who believe in him have his work credited to our account. Paul wrote for us, in order, Jesus did this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What he did is counted to us. He did the work, and so as his followers, it's counted to us as righteousness. The work is done, and it wasn't done by us. It was done by Him. So that we who believe in Him might walk in the freedom of His Spirit. And not by the flesh, which only seeks to keep us from Him. Now just really quickly here, because we don't want to read this wrongly, and many have. When Paul here is speaking about the flesh, don't think this stuff that covers my bones, okay? He's not talking about our physical bodies. What he's speaking about here is our our fallen nature, our sin nature. He is not saying for a moment that that the body is a bad or evil thing that we have to escape from. Okay, that, that is dualism and Gnosticism. It is not Christianity. The Christian knows that God has pronounced our bodies good. And though our bodies are fallen along with everything else, they are now tainted by sin. But he made us embodied creatures whose ultimate end is, is not to escape our bodies to be sort of spirits floating around but to live forever in a redeemed, resurrected body. What we need to be freed from is not the body, but the flesh, which is our sinful nature. And that is what Christ came to put to death in us. He came to free us from striving to fulfill a law that our sinful nature could never fulfill. 
And all that that striving, it would just lead us to, to struggling and falling short of that verdict, no condemnation that he freely offers. And so that verdict is given by the power of God alone. And then in his power, by the Holy Spirit, he works a change in us as he gives us a new perspective which is provided by his presence. Christians will often make a mistake here when we talk about spirit and law or spirit and flesh. We have this tendency to think that spirit and law are in opposition to one another. Even though both Ezekiel and Jeremiah told us that when God fills us with his spirit, he would write his law on our hearts and minds, we still think spirit, good, law, bad. But that is not at all the case. The change that the spirit works in us is not about the standard that we're to live by. That stays the exact same. The change he brings is about the perspective we have. It's about where our hearts are. Paul tells us in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. You see, the new perspective that the Spirit provides is about where our hearts and minds are fixed. It asks us or it forces us to to contend with the question, are we still living for the things of this world or the things of God? God? And as Christians, we, we, we tend to just think that this is obviously a very easy thing to answer, right? We're Christians. Of course we're living for the things of God. But if we're honest for a minute, I think we can all see how challenging it actually is. Because we all know how easy it is to truly live for the things of this world. To fall back into that fleshy, earthy living. To do even good things for really bad reasons. Even those things we claim to do for God, right? We we can kind of twist them and make them about us, right? I know, not us here. Other Christians, they would do it, not us. We would never give church to the money to get a tax break. Or money to the church to get a tax break. Or to maybe have a little more say on how things go around the church. We wouldn't do that. We'd never volunteer at a soup kitchen on the day that we just happen to know the social media person's going to be there and taking pictures of all the volunteers, right? No. We go on the days when they're not there. My personal favorite is when Christians are sure to post whatever it is they're giving up for Lent on social media, right? They go on their 40-day fast and make sure everyone who knows them knows that they're doing it. I'm sure just to communicate to them that they won't be around. Not at all for people to think, wow, way to go. It's the temptation we all face. We can be honest about that. And sometimes we fall into it. Because in those moments, our hearts are fixed on the flesh. Paul tells us that the the mind that is set on the flesh, it's hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
That's a pretty hard thing to hear, right? Because where do our minds go? Well, what about all those, those people out there that I know they do all kinds of good things? We see non-Christians doing good things all the time. Are they not pleasing God? The answer is ultimately no, they're not. Because what's the chief thing he wants us to do? It's believe in him. And so if you don't believe in him, you couldn't possibly please him. It just makes sense. In fact, if you don't believe in him, why would you even try to please him? You don't believe he's there. It's why this new perspective is so crucial. It's so that we can come to grips with why we actually do things. Because if we're doing things to serve ourselves rather than God, we're actually pushing ourselves further away from him. It's not pleasing to him to live for this world in any way, even doing a good thing. After all, we were created for him, and so our highest and best is living for him. And so one of the main things that the Spirit of God does in us is to show us when we are and when we are not living for Jesus. He casts a big old spotlight on Christ so that we can see his holiness in his heart to see that holiness in that heart that he wants us to have in this world. And so we are forced to wrestle with the question, where is our mind set? What is it that I truly love and truly value? As a Christian, what is it that dominates my mental real estate? These are big questions, but don't run away from them. The Spirit brings these questions to us, not to bring condemnation, because remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but rather to help us be conformed to the heart and mind of God. To see things as He does, and to have His heart for this world and even for ourselves. And we know that the Holy Spirit works this new perspective in us because of his presence within us. His presence reminds us of who we have been made to be and how we are to follow Jesus. Verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Friends, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, those verses are for you. You're different now because of the power, perspective, and presence of God within you. That is true of every single believer. It is not the privilege of a select few who just happen to have the right mix of gifts and values. It is true of every Christian. You have been given the Holy Spirit. And since he is within you, he will work change in you. He will bring that which was dead to life again. And so you can be assured that he will put sin to death in you. He will change you. 
He will make you more loving. He will help keep you from sin. All those things you've been doing for the wrong reasons, you'll still do them, but you'll do them as an act of thanksgiving. You'll actually want to spend time with other people. Amazing, I know. You'll want to be more charitable with your money. You won't even think about your taxes when you're writing that check. You'll want to bless people. It's not going to be a perfectly upward trajectory. It never is. But it is upward. It is headed in the right direction. How do we know that? Because of what Paul tells us here. The Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the same Spirit who now dwells in you. And so if He has the power to bring what was dead to life again, why would we doubt His ability to take our dead natures and breathe His life into them? Resurrection is the very heart of His work. And so He will resurrect us. Yes, at the final day for sure, but all of our days as He forgives and heals and restores us. Because the truth is, His righteousness is greater than our sinfulness. And the life that He gives is greater than death. It is that truth which caused Paul to burst out in joy. Even when he was thinking of how sinful he still is. He still took joy. Because as frustrated as he was with sin, as he should be, That frustration led not to despair, but joy because he was reminded of the glorious truth that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, that is you. You can be assured, friends, That Jesus has set you free to live for him. You have the power, perspective, and presence of God through his Holy Spirit in you. And so you will be convicted, comforted, and conformed to Jesus. That is the promise of God to all who believe in his Son. And so know the freedom of that truth. No condemnation so that you might rightfully join with the saints throughout the ages who could sing, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus in all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. That is you, believer in Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.